Good morning. Today we are going to turn our attention to the Apostle Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians chapter 2. So I do invite you to turn there. And while you're doing that, I want to express my my thanks to all of you that supported children last weekend at our Compassion International uh, Sponsorship Weekend. Uh, they were here. Uh, many of you were here. You heard Jonathan speak, who was a former Compassion kid. And our, our goal last weekend was to sponsor about 160 kids. And because of your generosity, we exceeded that and sponsored almost 200. So thank you for that uh, expression of generosity. Now, if you weren't here and you want to get in on that, there is a compassion table in our lobby. We have about 60 kids still looking for sponsors, most of whom are in our project in El Salvador. Uh, So that's out there if you want it. Uh, And in the same vein, uh, something I don't talk about very often, Uh, maybe I should talk about it more, but as, as you know, as we say each week, we do as a church depend on all of us being generous to, to what it is that we do here. Uh, and so I know there are, are some that for whatever reason you've chosen to not, uh, to give financially to Northbrook or it's been a long time. And my encouragement to you is that, uh, we, we do depend on each other. Uh, right now roughly a little less than 50% of our congregation gives 100% of our budget. And so there's a lot of opportunity for growth there. Um, we're not in trouble. There's not, the sky's not falling. Lights aren't going to shut off. But I do know there's a lot that we, we can do. And part of our spiritual practice is being generous. And so I would ask you to consider that. You can give online, uh, northbrookchurch.org, in the boxes in the back or through the mail. So thanks for considering that. Now, God, we... We pause and ask you to speak to your people. Word of God, would you speak to us? Open our hearts to receive whatever it is you want to say to us. Would you engage our mind, maybe be thoughtful and reflective as we consider the words of the scripture? And would you use these words to transform our lives and help us to become a bit more like you? Amen. So a couple of weeks ago, uh, on a Tuesday, I started to have some pain in my, my mouth, which isn't all that ordinary. I historically have had issues with my mouth, not just metaphorically, but also (laughs) physically. (laughs) I thought nothing of it until the next day on Wednesday, it really started to hurt, particularly when any liquid, hot or cold, hit a particular tooth on the lower right-hand side. By Wednesday night, it was so bad, I had to call the dentist, who said he could get me in on Friday, so all day Thursday, this pain, I, I, I would only chew on one side of my mouth, and if I drank anything, I tried to, like, only make sure it... You ever tried to... That's really hard to, to just try and keep it on one side of your mouth. So I went in Friday morning, and he looked at my tooth, and he said, well, you, you've cracked it, and you need a root canal, like today. I've had a root canal before, and it really wasn't that big of a deal, 
And so I went in at two o'clock expecting it to not be a big deal. Got in the chair, the endontist or whatever that guy's called, started to numb my mouth and came back and it still wasn't numb. So he did it again and came back and it still wasn't numb on the third time. He goes, it's been, I hit you three times. You should be good. I'm like, great. So if you've ever had a root canal, they, they put this umbrella thing on your mouth just in case a tool slips it won't go down your throat, which I'm like, that must have happened for them to, what, <laughs> right? And then, then there's a, this rubber block they put in your mouth to keep your jaw open, which I appreciate because an hour is a long time to keep your mouth open. And then he started to drill and oh, the pain. And he even said, if you feel it, just let me know. But, but the problem was, my mouth is now completely incapacitated. Listen, the, the ability to communicate matters. But I could not move my mouth at all. So when he started to drill, and the pain that I felt when that drill hit my tooth, my only response was, was this. It's all I could do. He goes, oh, that hurts, huh? Yep, that hurts. <laughs> so he hit me again, drilled, hit me again. Nine times it took. Two times he had to take the needle and put it inside my tooth. Listen, this is horrible. So if you're having a root canal, sorry. I, the first time was easy. Matt, it's, that's, yours is going to be easy. But for some reason, as I sat in that chair, I realized that the ability to communicate or not communicate makes all the difference. Communication is part of what makes life life. I believe in a God who has chosen to communicate with his people. And I bet many of you are here this morning because you also believe in a God who has chosen to communicate with his people. We refer to the Bible as the word of God. But how How often do we think deeply about what that means? Not only religiously, but also practically. Understanding that the way we approach the Bible is informed by all kinds of things. I mean, the the way that you approach the Bible is informed by your family of origin. The way your parents engage with the Bible influences how you engaged with the Bible. It did, it did for me. We're also informed by the culture that we live in. And whether we like to admit it or not, we're all culturally conditioned in some way because we live in a time and in a place. The denomination that we grew up in or are a part of has informed the way that we view the Bible. I was a part of a denomination for, for a long time and it was, it was fine. I mean, there's, but there were some things that were strict about it. The, the college that I went to was uh, a denominational college. And back then, it's different now, but back then, this was in the, the early 90s, we had to sign a piece of paper that said we wouldn't go to the movies, we wouldn't dance, and we wouldn't drink alcohol. Okay, fine. But when I got married, and my wife and I were at our reception, and we were called out to the first dance, 
and we were dancing with each other, we thought, are we, are we breaking the rules because we're dancing and we said we wouldn't dance? Luckily, I'm free from all that, man. Bring it all on, right? <laughs> we're influenced by pastors and teachers. We're influenced by our own personal theological mandrings, wanting to make the Bible say what we want it to say. So what do we do with it? What do we do with the Bible? Have you ever opened it and been confused? What does that mean? Some say the Bible contradicts itself. Others say it's outdated. And yet I come to you with a very high view of Scripture. I I have a very, very high regard for the Bible as God's word to us. But what do we do with it? So today we once again turn to the church, the city of Thessalonica. The Apostle Paul writes a letter to this church that we now call 1 Thessalonians. This letter is one of the most positive letters the Apostle Paul has written. And in chapter 2, he is expressing gratitude because the people of this church have received the word of God. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. And we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is, the word of God which is indeed at work in you who believe. The Bible that we hold in our hands is a translation from three languages, Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. And that word that we translate as word, as in the word of God, is the Greek word logos or logos. It was a common word in Greek philosophy. The Greek philosophers used the word logos to describe life and shape and form. The philosopher Plato used the word logos to describe the all-pervasive reason which forms and governs the universe. So when we come to the Gospels of Matthew and Mark, they choose to use that word inspired by the Holy Spirit to describe God's speech or God's message. It's the logos. When we come to, to John's Gospel, John uses that same word, logos, to describe the person of the Trinity through whom the world was created. John chapter 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and all things came through him. In the epistles, the apostle Paul is inspired to choose that word, logos, as God's active message to his people. It, It becomes a sacred word. And yet... Historically, the Logos, the Logos, the Word of God, has been used in all kinds of ways. The Logos has been used as a weapon to justify the Crusades and the Inquisition, burning people alive at the stake. The Logos has been used to hurt women, to manipulate and control others, and even used to justify slavery. The Logos has been used as a rule book. If you just follow the rules and you're a good person, then maybe, just maybe, you'll get into heaven and avoid hell. 
The Logos has been used as an instruction manual. If you just follow the instructions, life will be perfect. Kind of like an Ikea manual. You follow the steps, and when you're done, you get a table. It's that simple. The Logos has been used as a science textbook and a leadership manual, and I think all of those views of Scripture fall short and do an injustice to what this actually is, resulting in a disastrous mishandling of the Scripture, giving an incomplete view of who God is, causing God's people to puff out our chests with arrogant righteousness, forming a weak and shallow view of theology, God, and the scriptures. When we turn to the earliest Christians, as they held the word of God, they they held it with humility, believing that it was a revelation from God to his people, showing us what God is like, giving us wisdom for living in the way of the kingdom of Jesus, And also giving us the assurance of eternity. So can I ask, what do we do with the Logos, with the word of God? Well, for the next few moments, I want us to reimagine the Bible by letting the Bible characterize itself. The Apostle Paul says to the Thessalonians, I'm thankful that you've received the word of God. The word received is an action. The Bible itself is is active. It's not static. The writer of the book of Hebrews says, For the word of God is alive and active. Now, what was the Apostle Paul talking about when he used the word Logos? What was was the writer of Hebrews referring to when he uses the word Logos as alive and active? Because remember, when this was being written, there was no New Testament. Like they were actively writing it. So what is the Logos that they're talking about? Well, it's the creative power of God revealing himself, revealing parts of himself to us. Thus, allowing the Logos to be redemptive in its movement, not static, but redemptive in movement, and challenges us to notice what God is up to right now. For the word of God is alive and active. It is not static, although we sometimes treat it as it's static. We say things like, well, the Bible says it. I believe it. That settles it. But I just don't think it's that simple. And I'm going to use the Bible to prove to you that I don't think it's that simple. 1 Corinthians Chapter 16, verse 20. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Any holy kisses happened this morning when you walked into the lobby? It's a new ministry. We're starting the holy kissers. (laughs) First Timothy chapter five, verse 23. Stop drinking only water and use a little wine for your illness. So next time you get the flu... Forget the doctor, man. Open up a bottle of Chardonnay and... Deuteronomy chapter 22, verses 28 and 29. If a man happens to meet a virgin who is not pledged to be married and rapes her, and they are discovered, he shall pay the father 50 shekels of silver. 
He must marry the girl for he has violated her. He can never divorce her as long as she lives. Now, I've got a daughter. (laughs) And I can promise you there's going to be no exchange of shekels. (laughs) Maybe something else. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 6 and 7. A woman should cover her head. A man must never cover his head. Now, I played golf on Friday, and I wore a ball cap. I wonder, did I violate the scriptures? 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18. Slaves, submit to your masters. I don't say any of this to minimize the scripture, because, again, I have a very high view of the Bible, a very high view of scripture. But what we notice is that the Bible is redemptive in its movement. It is not static. Beginning with the first pages of Genesis to the last pages of Revelation, it's going somewhere. This is what Jesus said in the last book of the Bible, Revelation. Behold, I am making all things new. When the Bible was written, it was always elevating people above the cultural standards. It was always taking a higher view. And as the Bible moves through history, it's always moving in a redemptive arc. Therefore, the Logos is alive and active, moving people towards all things being new. And therefore, it's not simply the pages and the ink, but the creative loving essence behind the text. Next week, My wife and I will have been married for 26 years, and we still like each other. Matter of fact, we still love each other. And because of that, every once in a while, before I leave in the morning, I'll take a sticky note, and I'll write a cute little lovey thing on it, and I'll stick it on on the mirror in the bathroom so it's the first thing that she sees. Last week, I... I took a sticky note and I wrote M plus R and I drew a heart around it. It's so so cute. Sometimes my wife will come into my office and she'll leave me a note on a notepad that I've, I've left out. It's not the shape of the words or the color of the ink or the paper on which it was written, but it is the substance behind the message that matters. Because those words are alive, they're alive to us. And therefore, that's why I hold a very high view of the Bible, so much so that I won't even put another book on top of the Bible. That's how highly I view the scripture, as something that's alive and redemptive and can only be received. The Thessalonians have received this creative, redeeming essence of God's logos, God's word. That word received means to take along the substance of what it is. I I cannot function without it. As a follower of Christ, I can't function without the logos, without the word of God. It guides me. It's like, I I go to the gym a few times a week, and sometimes if I go in the morning, I bring all my stuff in my duffel bag so that I can get ready for the day and go straight to work. But it seems like at least half the time I forget something. 
a belt, socks, something, which screws up my whole morning because then I got to go home and get what it is I forgot. And, or think about that thing that if you leave your house without it, it's the one thing you would go back for because you need it. Phone, laptop, whatever. When I receive the word of God, I cannot leave home without it. I'm not talking about the physical book. I'm talking about what's in me. I take it with everywhere I go, and the word of God shapes me. It shapes how I act. It shapes how I engage with the world. It's God's creative, redeeming life in me. It's the substance of who I am. And it plays out in all kinds of practical ways. So I had, I had a, a customer service issue last week. I, I have one of those fences to keep, keep your dog in a, it's an invisible fence. And don't worry, really this is not a philosophy about what you think about those fences. I know they shock the dogs. Believe me, I've shocked myself three times with the collar. Not intentionally, but it does not feel great. But it works. Well, my fence isn't working. So I called for it to be repaired, and I have a service plan. I paid $300 for it. And they came out, and they said, okay, we can fix your fence. This is what it's going to cost. And I said, oh, no, no, nay, nay, I, I have a service contract. And they said, yeah, but it, it doesn't cover this. So no, 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 no. I called the person, and they said that this fence, everything's covered. Well, this, they were wrong. This part's not covered. Have you ever had frustration that started in your toes and started to work its way up? And when it got to about right here, the word of God became alive and active. (laughs) And I heard, let your words be gracious, always seasoned with salt. And so it stopped here, and I just said to the guy, I said, I know it's not your fault. What can you do for me? And it was actually a a transformative experience because, like, the mad Sicilian kind of wanted to come out, but, but the word of God is alive and active, and it defines who I am, and it transforms me to the core. But back to our text. And we thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. Back to our passage from Hebrews. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even dividing the soul and the spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. This This logos that penetrates and divides the soul is at work in you. In the year 397 AD, St. Augustine started to describe something that he called the inner life. That place inside of you that only you and God know about. It's the place of of thoughts and emotions. And St. Augustine wrote that that to truly follow Christ, we, we have to turn inward. We have to turn to that inner place because that is the place of transformation. That is the place where God's word penetrates and works. And my outer world is an echo of my inner world. You see, as followers of Christ, the goal is not behavior modification. It's transformation. It's becoming more like Christ. 
and the Logos. It penetrates the soul, judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart, and is at work in you. Now, it's very easy to point out where God needs to work in somebody else. Much harder to turn inward and notice where God is working in me. So I want to give you, I just want to give you a practical illustration of this. My wife and I were married when I was 22 years old. Uh, She was 25, my cougar. And when I was 22, I was very selfish. I'll self-admit it. I, I admit it. I was very selfish and I was very driven. I wanted to make a name for myself. I wanted to be successful in life and ministry. And I worked a lot of hours pursuing those things. And as a result, I was fairly neglectful of both my wife and when my children came along, my children, because I was so driven and so self-centered and so selfish. I, I admit it. I, I, I wish I could go back in time and strangle my 22-year-old self and say, what's wrong with you? In my mid-30s, I was reading the scripture and I came along this passage from Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. I wonder if you've ever read something and it gripped you, like just gripped you. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. That's, that's, a, that's a big thing. As Christ loved the church? Do you know how Christ loved the church? He died. He gave his whole life sacrificially on behalf of the church. So after weeks and months of reflecting on that simple passage, something started to transform in me. Mike, love your wife as Christ loved the church. And the need to be seen as successful began to wane. And the desire to sacrificially serve my family began to grow. Not because I put a lot of effort into it because I, again, I was living pretty selfishly, but because something was transforming in me. I was being transformed by the logos, the word of God in me, guided by the Holy Spirit. So I want to get practical for a moment because there is a way to do this. Now you may be thinking, well, that's great, Mike, but you're a pastor and you sit around and read the Bible all day, so it's easy for you. Or maybe the Bible hasn't really been a big part of your life. Maybe you've rarely, if ever, picked it up and read it. So where do I start? This seems so overwhelming. And I'm just going to give you a simple place to start. I mean, first of all, um, step one is to just open it. If you don't know where to open it, we've got Bible reading guides in the lobby. They're free. Just grab one. You can read through the New Testament in a year going slowly through the Bible. But there's a way to engage it that I think is very transformative. Some refer to it as sacred reading, coming from two Latin words, lexio, which means reading, and divina, which means sacred, so sacred reading. And there's four simple steps. This practice has been around for hundreds and hundreds of years, and it's, it's very simple. Number one, it begins with opening the Bible and reading it slowly, slowly, 
prayerfully and listening for the word that God has prepared for you. Because if we believe it's alive and active, then we also believe that God has prepared something for us. Once I've read that passage, I I meditate on it. That's step number two. And rest with a word or a phrase that God has illuminated to my consciousness. Reflect on it. Think about it. The third step is to to pray, to formulate a prayer as a response to what it is that you've just read. And the final step is contemplative in nature, to be be contemplative in which you allow God to act through you. God, how am I going to practically express what I've just read in the world today? So as we kind of bring all this to a close. I, I want us to do this together for just a moment with the passage we've just read from today. So if we could bring that up on the screen. Let's just do this together. First, first Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. The first step in sacred reading is to simply read it prayerfully and slowly. And we also thank God continually because when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as a human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. So the second step is we, we think about that passage, we meditate on it, and ask God, what is it that you're saying to me? What is it that's leaping off the page? What word or phrase is being illuminated? And then, once we've noticed that, we pray a prayer based on that So if the phrase word of God has been illuminated. We, we pray, God, help the word of God to penetrate me. Help me to live the word of God. And the last step, contemplation, is to, to pay attention to where God is asking you to work in the world. Because, you listen, I, as a follower of Christ, I have a very high view of Scripture. It's alive. It's active. It wants to penetrate your soul and transform you. Maybe like the Thessalonians, be willing to receive it. So this morning, my prayer, God, is that that your word would become alive and active in me. That it would penetrate my soul. Transforming me. As I engage with your word, O oh God, I, I desire to become more like you. I desire for the word of God to be in me and work through me everywhere that I go, every moment of every day. Oh, I know it's not easy, but I also believe that you want to do a deep, deep work in me, in all of us. So maybe like the Thessalonians, be open to receive your word. Amen.